Hey everybody, it's Rubia Garcia, AKA Miss G, and you're listening to the Teacher Life Podcast with Miss G, here to give you your daily updates of the Derek Chauvin trial. It's Monday, April 12th, day 11 of arguments, and my microphone is broken. Now ask me how I know. <laughs> I'm about to laugh about it right now, but I wasn't laughing about it about maybe 10 minutes ago when I realized that I had basically just recorded a 40 minute podcast of absolute gold and silence. So now I have to run through all of this all over again. So thank you for bearing with me. Um, We did have three witnesses today, but before we get even into the witnesses, I have to go back and even recap as to what happened last week, because I know there wasn't a show on Thursday or Friday, and I have to explain why. Thursday, I let you guys know that I was going to be going live with Miss Sierra Knight from 2420. So I tried to get that audio and I just didn't have the time because of what transpired the next day. The next day I get on a plane, I have to go to Baltimore, then to go to DC to get my car, then drive to Pennsylvania to get my dog because I'm heading to Minneapolis the next day on Saturday, as you guys already know. So a lot was going on. I couldn't get the podcast out, but I went live throughout the entire drive to get to Pennsylvania and so on and so forth, and basically went through the recaps. And if you want to follow, uh, I usually go live on Instagram at Nola Rubia Garcia, and that's where I spend, especially when I'm on the road, I spend a lot of my time going live uh, on that platform. So that's where you can find the the updates and things like that, uh, mainly if if something comes up and I can't post a podcast like I would like to. I knew that there was going to be adjustments whenever I got here. So Saturday, I get on the road. I spend 14 hours on the road, uh, get far past Chicago with uh, me and Justice and get into Madison, Wisconsin. And we stay outside of Madison, Wisconsin on Saturday night. And then we finish the rest of the way on Sunday and we get here Sunday afternoon. I get to the Hennepin County uh, Courthouse and I go look around. And as of two weeks before, there had people been chained to the fence. There had been signs of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and names and chalk on the ground. And when I get there, it's empty. There's nobody there. There are no signs. There's no chalk on the ground. And my heart's breaking because it's like the people are being are being silenced. Like we want to be here in support of justice for George Floyd. And it shouldn't be that far of a contradiction because the boys in blue are even there on the stand talking about the boy behind the badge and who he was at one point and what he is accountable for. But the people can't seem to show up in any kind of way and express their desire for justice in this case. So that kind of broke my heart. And I'm, I'm walking down the street with justice. And then I get a call about another officer involved shooting that's about 10 miles away. So I get in the car uh, and because I don't know what the circumstances are, I I leave justice behind and I get in the car and I drive. Takes me about 20 minutes to get there. And by the time I get there, um, we're talking about the shooting of Dante Wright. So when I get there, the the car is still there. A tow truck is arriving and picking up his his vehicle and his body was was still there. the family uh, had the mother. I expressed my condolences to both his mother and to his father. They tried to get the crowd to uh, to calm down, but his mother ultimately expressed that he had been pulled over uh, for some, uh, reportedly having an air freshener of some kind and things like that. And uh, ultimately, uh, ended with his death. And at that time, we didn't know a whole hell of a lot of information. I didn't even know the correct spelling of his name. It was just so many things were going on at one time. 
But immediately we see the police gear and the riots and this like SWAT looking team showing up. There's no National Guard presence, but they are there. They got the gas masks and the sticks and the, the, the tear gas canisters and the pump action. You know what I mean? Like it's a front line in the middle of the, in the middle of the neighborhood. You feel me? And there are police vehicles, and then there are people who get and take their take to their own take out their own frustrations on this personal property because at this point. It just doesn't make sense. And it's not a justification. It's just the facts in the way that they were. So I, I stayed around and there were um, there was a, a vigil of some sorts. It looks like some of his friends and people that he went to school with were kind of hanging around and members of the community were hanging around. And I just kind of stood there and burned my sage and, you know, try to cleanse the air and try to bring, you know, some kind of love to the, to the circle that we were all in right there. And earlier on in the night, there was... Um, I didn't get to this in the first podcast, but uh, this is the video that you see on my on my Instagram, Anola Rubia Garcia. This is sitting in the circle, and then there was a gentleman who had spoke earlier, um, and he had quoted Frederick Douglass. Now, those of you who know me, Frederick Douglass, it, he he changed a lot of things for me and opened my eyes to a lot of things and helped me to define this passion. Right. So, one of my favorite quotes is that there is no struggle, there is no progress, and this is what the community leader had referenced earlier. And I'm sitting there like, you know what? man, this is so fitting for the movement because that one tiny quote doesn't do the entirety of that quote justice and what, what is encompassed inside of it. So when I have a sister on my side and, and she's like, I would say more, but I'm losing my voice. And I was like, you know what? Let me just finish the rest of the quote because I think that it could really hammer in the point that this gentleman was making that in order to get the progress we seek, you're going to have to go through some ugly stuff. There's nothing beautiful really about growth only in the sense that you know that you're growing, but the process itself is actually kind of ugly, right? So if there is no struggle, there is no progress. So basically, if you want to get to where you want to go and you want to see progress, you're going to have to go through some kind of struggle. But then I asked if you knew about the whole quote. And then I go into... And I didn't get a chance to break it down, but I think that I should now. He says that there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom yet depreciate agitation. So those who want freedom yet depreciate the means by which to accomplish it, right? That they decrease the agitation. They there are men who want crops without plowing the ground. You want rain without thunder and lightning. You want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. So you want all the crops, but you don't want to go out and sow the seeds, right? You want the, 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 the hydration of rain, but you don't want to deal with the thunder and lightning that may accompany it. You want to admire the beauty of the ocean, but you don't want to deal with the, the, the depths that the ocean really is, right? He says, power concedes nothing without a demand. If somebody's in power, why are they just going to give it to you freely? You're acting as if they have some kind of moral compass in order to mandate that. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. You find out just what any people will quietly submit to. What any people will quietly sit there and take. And you will find the exact measure of injustice and wrong which will be imposed upon them and they will continue until they are resisted with either words or blows or with both because the limits of these tyrants 
and the people that we're up against who are creating these injustices, how far these fuckers are willing to take it is only going to be determined by the endurance of those whom they oppress. Meaning, however long we're willing to take it, they will continue to dish it. So you wanna know how far they're going to take it? You wanna know how long it's gonna be? It's going to continue until it is resisted with either words or blows or both. Because their limits will only be prescribed by the endurance of us and those whom they oppress. And I wanted to take that moment to let people know, my people of color know, that even though there are plenty of white, my white brothers and sisters that feel exactly like I do it, and, and I'm pissed off at them for not being able to speak out. For not knuckling up and finding the courage to speak out. But I also want to honor those who have and maybe trying to reach those who feel the same way about the injustice, just don't know how to articulate it. But most importantly, to for, for my people of color, my black and brown brothers and sisters, not signal, not virtue signaling, but letting you know unequivocally that there are people like this. You have true allies and accomplices out there with boots on the ground and are with you in this, in this shit. You feel me? So that was, I felt like if I were to contribute anything, it was just the knowledge that I had just learned as a white woman trying to recognize my privilege and the fact that if we all were to be united behind this and seeking justice and come together, we would have the progress. But the issue is you can't have the progress without the struggle. So this means that for a vast majority of my white brothers and sisters, you have to own up to the fact that you have to pay or own up for things that maybe you never did, but you nonetheless will benefit from regardless. That's the uncomfortable struggle that we must overcome in order to get to the progress that we seek. And while we are making gains in instances like, like, like George Floyd and Dante Wright and Breonna Taylor and Baltham Jean and Philando Castile and the list just goes on until we learn to deal with these uncomfortable truths, this is never going to change. We will never get the progress that we seek without a first and foremost dealing with the struggle. But I say all that to bring us to actually today. Um, First and foremost, before we even, uh, and that uh, that takes us really until the end of the vigil. And then I go to the Brooklyn PD that last night, and we all know I'm, I'm looking at my stomach right now. I still don't trying to make out what the injury is on my stomach, but I know that a flashbang had gone off next to me because the people at the vigil had eventually congregated over by the, the Brooklyn Center PD department for accountability for the officer for the, for the death, which now has been deemed an accident, as in she meant to discharge her taser and not her service weapon, which is on her dominant side, her right side, and she's trained to have her taser on her left, and she handled it for at least five to six seconds before she actually shot him. But I'm just saying, there was a lot that we didn't know at that night, last night. But ultimately, I wind up getting out literally at the same time the police had surrounded and I was trying to tell people and warn people that they had finally surrounded us because I was going back, my phone had died. Those of you who were following on Instagram, 
my phone was dying. I was running back and forth trying to put it on the charger and recording on my camera and instead and things like that. But I, my phone died. I went to go put my phone back. And on upon, upon getting to my car, that's when I saw the police line forming. And I tried to warn people in the middle that they was coming. They had surrounded. And by the time I made the block, the National Guard had blocked off the street and they were going in and trying to corral uh, protesters and whatnot. But the, the protests and riots had pretty much spread throughout the city and went uh, throughout the evening, from uh, my understanding, I actually fell asleep and um, trying to stay abreast as to what all was going on and, and where and whatnot. But I woke up this morning um, and I, I apologize. I know the format of the, the, the episode is a little bit different. I have to get into a, a new habit and trying to do the podcast because I also right now I want to be on the streets. I wanted to be out there in the streets today, but I'm trying to find a balance between watching the, tro the, the, the trial and being able to give you the updates that you need and the information that you need, but also being in the streets. So uh, I appreciate the patience that you're giving me and trying to, to figure this out. Um, let's talk about actually what happened today. So let's take a quick break and then we're going to get actually into the specifics of today because we had some major things that went off today. We had major rulings in the, in the, the hearings. Uh, we had some major testimony by the cardiologist as well as another use of force uh, expert. But we're going to take a break and then we'll get, in all, get into all that in a second. All right, so I'm going to try to wrap up this next part really quickly. Uh, we're going to go through the motions and then we're going to go through the witnesses. All right, so... We had a lot of motions that we went through this morning. The first thing, the defense tried to prevent the, the use of force expert to testify saying accumulative. Basically, he's saying, we've heard this so many times before, we don't need to hear it again, which is true. We've heard from all these different experts, basically saying the same thing over and over and over again. So the judge basically allowed it only on the grounds that this one is going to really go towards more speaking on the, the crowd and that, uh, that type of testimony. Um, the defense also this morning tried to sequester the jury based upon the death of Dante Wright, which I had discussed as everything that had kind of transpired yesterday because of everything that happened last night. The defense tried to use that as an excuse, telling the jury, basically saying that the jury knows now. So a sequester is basically, they would lock the jury up throughout the duration of the trial. So they will go, they will be sequestered whenever closing arguments go and they go to deliberate. Those 12, the two alternates will, will, will go away, but those 12 will go away and be sequestered until they come ultimately to a verdict. And I think it's important for you guys to know that as, the, as everything kind of wrapped up today, the judge let us know that the, the defense is going to be beginning presenting tomorrow and then closing arguments are going to happen on Monday. He said they would be wrapping up on Friday, but if they wrapped up the closing arguments on Friday, that would mean they would be sequestered for the weekend. So he's going to postpone the closing arguments to Monday Basically, this means we're going to have a jury verdict as of next week. So if you can get to Minneapolis, now is the time to come and peacefully assemble. But uh, the judge didn't deny the sequestration that, again, that they would be put into a hotel. They would be phones and no news and things like that to ensure basic uh, jury impartiality. Uh, given everything that's going on, he, he the, the defense was arguing that basically... This is just going to bring to the forefront of the, the juror's mind that the results of this are going to have consequences. Not like we all don't know that, but there are going to be consequences as a result of this. Um, so there was that motion. Uh, we did have three witnesses. We had Dr. Jonathan Rich. We had a Philanese Floyd, uh, George's brother, and then 
Seth Staunton, who was the one that the defense tried to prevent from going. But after Jonathan Rich, the cardiologist testified, after his testimony, they had the lunch break. And that's when Judge Cahill basically ruled on Maurice Hall. Maurice Hall was the guy who was in the passenger seat with George and who the last spark of life testimony, his George's girlfriend testified and basically said that Maurice and Shawanda, who was in the backseat, are basically their, um, their drug dealers, right? Or they were their drug dealers. So the defense wants to call him basically to testify that he had given George drugs and George had fallen asleep in the car, going to prove his defense that George had died of a drug overdose. So that's why he wanted them to testify. The problem is Maurice Hall's attorneys, like you want him to basically come testify to your defense that he's the reason why George is dead and not the fact that your client had his knee on his neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds. So ultimately you're asking him to admit uh, in any way and self-incriminate himself on the stand. She said he's not going to do that. He was going to plead the fifth. And as such, the judge basically ruled he's not going to allow him to testify. And then um, <laughs> defense counsel Nelson was like, what about the statement that he made to police? And the judge ultimately ruled that not even that was going to be admissible because it's, it doesn't fall into the exceptions um, as far as hearsay. But that right there, guys, that pretty much sums up the, the motions that I can get to. And I've already told you about you know the the trial going forward and basically what the, the the schedule is looking like but a lot of what today was going to went down to was just reinforcement of a few things we had we talked to a pulmonologist that was dr tobin last week the really impressive irish guy with the accent that made the comment that you know you might not see bruisings i go to church every sunday and sit for hours and i don't get bruises on my bottom so you know, you might not see the type of bruising, but that's ultimately what caused his death. And now this time, uh, throughout other expert testimony, we've had them basically say that there was, um, um, it could have been all these other uh, things. And it, you would have to ask an expert, like a pathologist would say, or the, I believe Andrew Baker said on Friday, well, you'd have to see a cardiologist or a pulmonologist. Well, we've already heard from a pulmonologist. Today, we heard from a cardiologist. Uh, his name was Dr. Jonathan Rich. He basically testified that uh, George had died from a cardiopulmonary arrest uh, caused by low oxygen levels induced by the prone restraint and positional asphyxia. He said that he reviewed the medical records and found no evidence that George had any negative heart condition. Um, he said he noted that he had high blood pressure, but that high blood pressure isn't necessarily a heart condition, even though it needs treatment. He didn't hear Floyd complaining of dizziness or any kind of heart palpitations. And more importantly, his condition didn't deteriorate rapidly. Rapidly, It... Uh, which would indicate a heart arrhythmia. He said that his movement and his speech gradually became slower and weaker, which was an indicative of low oxygen. Um, he said that he found no evidence that Floyd had died of a heart attack. He was, and that his opinion was that it was his life-threatening manner in which he was restrained. After reviewing his autopsy re uh, results, he said that George's arteries were narrowed due to the coronary artery, artery disease but said that none of them were blocked completely, that there was no evidence of blood clotting or uh, platelets. Uh, is that platelets? I'm not a scientist. I'm not in the science. I stick to history. But no platelets uh, that would have caused a heart attack. But more importantly, the interior lining of Floyd's heart showed no damage at all, which would be present, present if he had had a heart attack. So that goes to his pre-existing condition. So there, there was no evidence that he had a heart attack by the autopsy. He also talked about he did, uh, the fact that he didn't believe it was uh, caused by drugs, not whether by the fentanyl nor uh, methamphetamines, nor the mixture of the two. 
He said that he had developed a tolerance to the drug as a chronic user and that he didn't see any signs of an opiate overdose even in the video because George was alert, he was awake, and he was talking. He went on to basically conclude his testimony saying that it was, he believed that uh, George's death was preventable, absolutely preventable, if I'm not mistaken, is his quote, and that the officers, had they repositioned him or rolled him on his side as they were trained to do, that it very likely could have saved his life. And that uh, there was a point in time that he had heard an officer ask Chauvin if, if George should be turned on his side. And the response was no, just leave him. And that once the officers couldn't find a pulse, they should have relieved that restraint and then started CPR because each minute that passed without those chest compressions, his chances of survival were going to be reduced. And he said what I've been saying all week, basically, that by the time the paramedics arrived, he had already died saying, quote, I think any chance of meaningful survival was unfortunately very low by the time paramedics arrived. And that ultimately, had it not been for Chauvin's knee, George would have survived. The next witness uh, was Villanese Floyd. He was the other spark of life's testimony that I have kind of mentioned in, in previous episodes. He talks about how they grew up in Houston together. He showed pictures of George and him as a child and as a teenager. He showed pictures of George and his mother. Um, he became understandably emotional and he discussed how hard um, George had took the death of his mother in 2018 and saying how absolutely close they were. And no matter how big he got, he would still go and lay next to his mom in the fetal position and saying that when she passed that he didn't want to leave her casket and screaming out mama mama over over and over again and that that was it was understandably emotional and as a mother it tugged at my heart because my no matter how big my baby gets he's always going to be my baby so that was a pretty tough testimony um they wrapped up the day by the use of first use of force expert seth staunton He's a law professor at the University of South Carolina, and he used a reasonable officer standard when assessing uh, Chauvin's actions, meaning what a reasonable officer should have done in the same circumstances. He said that a reasonable officer would have realized that Floyd was handcuffed and four other officers on, in total were on the scene. And when George, he noted that when George Floyd first resisted, he didn't appear to be objecting to be getting into the police custody, but rather just to be putting in, being put in the police cruiser. He didn't have intention to assault officers, but rather to avoid being put in the police car. And also he voiced his concerns and about claustrophobia, noting, and this is so very true, that when George comes out of the car, he know if you pay attention, he thanks the officers before he's put on the ground, he's he's he thanks them for being taken out of the police guard before he's restrained on the ground. Staunton at that point says that officers should not have placed George Floyd in that prone restraint because he was not a threat or harm to the officers. That prone position in, in policing is only meant to be a transitory type thing used when you're handcuffing someone who is resisting, but only until they are under control. And that even when Officer Lange suggested rolling Floyd to his side, he indicated that indicates at least one officer believed that George could be controlled without that type of prone restraint. Uh, Staunton testified and said that a reasonable officer should have known about the dangers of positional asphyxia or breathing complications resulting from that prone restraint. Why? Because those dangers have been taught to the officers for more than three decades. But more to the point, we have heard two weeks of expert testimonies, including those who gave the training to Chauvin, who said, I don't know what kind of old that is, but that ain't what I trained him with his with his certifications, with his name and signatures on them. Right. So we already really know what time of day it is. 
when it comes to what he should have known and it is against the policy. He says that um, most importantly, when we get into all of the, and the positional asphyxia is basically being laid out on your chest like that and just having the weight of your chest on you, not even having anybody on top of you. So that he's basically saying that they knew about those. And obviously you recognize that if, if Thomas Lane, Officer Lane is saying, maybe we should roll him over to his side, but they did nothing again. Most importantly, again, this is the witness that the defense tried to limit today. He gets finally to the crowd and he said that the crowd did not pose a threat to the officers as the defense attorney, Eric Nelson has been saying. Why? He referenced the comments of Officer Tao, uh, Officer Tao on two separate occasions. He says things to escalate the problem, right? He directs the group of bystanders to stay back and then says, this is why you don't do drugs, kid. An officer who's really worried about an unruly crowd would attempt to build some kind of reputation and rapport, not to make inflammatory statements that's gonna further antagonize the crowd. At this time, George Floyd is also demonstrating these signs of increasing medical distress and the officers had a duty to render aid, but did not. And then finally, as I have been waiting for all week, he gets through the time, goes through the notes, and then they finally get to 8.26 p.m. Like I've been screaming like an idiot all week. Actually, not like an idiot, because all this does is confirm what I've been saying. The time when King reaches down for a pulse and he says that he couldn't find one. Stoughton says at that point, the officer's use of force had some kind of foreseeable effect of resulting in death or great bodily harm, and that the sanctity of life and the duty of care of the officers should have stepped in to protect George's life, and they didn't. Both the knee across George's neck and the prone restraint were, quote, unreasonable, excessive, and contrary to generally accepted police practices, and no reasonable officer would have believed that was appropriate, acceptable, or reasonable use of force. So that right there pretty much sums up the entire day. Uh, as I said, the, the, the judge outlined and said that pretty much wraps up the prosecution's case. We're going to start the defense on tomorrow and then go to the end of the week. He predicted we'd be done by the end of the week. Um, so that means literally have the closing arguments on Monday. And depending on how long the jury actually takes to deliberate, we could have a verdict sometime next week. Um, if I got to get out and get on the, get on the road and <laughs> there's a curfew that's implemented at 7 PM. But if I know where something's going on, make sure you guys are following at Nola Rubia Garcia or on Twitter, Nola Rubia Garcia, Facebook at Rubia Garcia or on my fan page, Rubia Garcia too. Um, thank you again to all of those who have either become monthly subscribers, who have donated stars, who have sent money to the cash app at Nola Rubia Garcia to help me do what I'm doing out here. Those who have become monthly subscribers on Anchor FM, those who have bought things or just those who have just showed love and support in any way that you could, whether by physically being there from my girl who kept justice when I was ripping and running last week to all of you who have just been patient throughout this entire process and helping me learn and grow throughout this struggle to get to the progress that we all want to see. It's not going to be pretty. No one ever promised it would be pretty. We just promised that it's going to be worth it. And together we can do it. 
Thank you again. I love y'all. Catch me tomorrow night at 8 p.m. for your daily recap. Teach your life.